Hey, what's up? It's Bobby Portis. I'm Saquon Barkley. I'm Brianna Stewart. This is Showtime Sean Porter. I'm Sugar Ray Lemon. I'm Corey Brewer. I'm Sinisa Estrada, and we run this station. We run this station. We run this station. Thoughts on Colleen Quigley of the U.S. Ran a personal best in the steeplechase, became the third fastest American ever one week ago in Berlin. She's also run her fastest mile in 1,500 meters this summer. But look at Quigley go. She's putting it to Houlihan. I don't think Houlihan's going to get up. Colleen Quigley will win in New York. Growing up in St. Louis, Missouri, Colleen Quigley never imagined she'd be an Olympic athlete. By the time she graduated from Florida State University, Colleen had earned nine NCAA All-American honors and was on her way to Rio for the 2016 Summer Olympics. Colleen sat down with uninterrupted podcast producer John Fontanelli to share the steps she's taken in her journey and the hurdles she's cleared along the way. I'm Joseph Fourier, and this is Unguarded. Colleen, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. First of all, your Instagram and Twitter handle is at Squigs. That's right. That's incredible. I love that. Where'd you get that nickname? It's been that way since college. My, uh, yeah, my college coach nicknamed me Squigs um, my <laughs> freshman year. And then I run the steeplechase as my mm-hmm. primary event on the track. So mm-hmm. I love alliterations and it was just a perfect match. If you haven't, for the audience, if you haven't seen the steeplechase, go on YouTube and check it out. It's a fascinating mm, event. Yes. I strongly encourage everybody to Search familiarize themselves. steeplechase fails, actually, is what you should <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. So I'm sure you're probably tired of being asked this question, but a brief okay. explanation of what the steeplechase is. For sure. So I've pretty much got it down at this point. Um, it's 3,000 meters, which is just short of two miles. It's seven and a half laps on a track, a normal outdoor track. Um, and each lap, you have four of these big wooden barriers that you have to hurdle. Um, they're not like sprinter hurdles that kind of fall over if you hit them. These are more similar to like horse racing barriers that are very sturdy and you fall over if you hit them. <laughs> right. Um, and then at, uh, in addition to those four, you have one on the corner that is placed in front of a quite large pit of water um, that you have to step up onto the hurdle. The idea is you put, place one foot on top, launch yourself over, your next foot is kind of in the water and then your next foot should be back on like dry track. Um, so you're splashing in the water on every lap. You got seven and a half laps of four barriers and seven water pits. So yeah, it's kind of crazy. It's like an obstacle course on the track. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's a relatively new event in terms of like the Olympics. I think 2008 was the first year. That's it was right. In the Olympics. Yeah. Officially when they gave out medals, 2004, they had like an expedition year. And then um, 2008, they gave out medals for women. It's been around for men for much longer than that. But yeah, relatively new for women. What was that process like where you started competing in steeplechase? Yeah, I didn't do it in high school. It's becoming more popular now in high school. Um, but when I was in high school, I mean, I didn't even know a track that had a steeple pit because not all tracks have the water pit. So there was no opportunity opportunity to jump in a steeplechase. I was just running like the 1600 and the 3200 in Missouri. But my college coach at Florida States, you know, she um, recruited me and she just saw it in me for some reason. She saw me running just like flat running. And she was like, I think you'd be a really great steeplechaser. I want you to, you know, come to Florida State and I want to give you a full ride and try this event. And I was like, all right, lady, like (laughs) whatever. And then freshman year, I finished fifth at NCAAs. And she told me, you're going to be a national champion in the steeplechase before you graduate. And I was like, oh, damn. (laughs) Wow. And it was my senior year. I um, won a national title. 
So I was, I was like, yeah, this is probably my event. What qualities, physical qualities, and maybe mental qualities too, <laughs> make someone a champion at steeplechase? Yeah, I mean, you have to be decently tall to be pretty competitive. The barriers are 30 inches tall, so that comes up to like not even my waist. Um, and so, you know, it makes it a lot easier to hurdle them. You don't have to have perfect form. Um, the men's barriers are 36 inches. So, I mean, I could jump over 36 inches, but I would have to be, you know, much more careful if you make any little mistake jumping over that high, you know, you're, en you're ending up on the track. So, um, you know, height definitely makes it easier. And just like an overall athletic build, um, I never was really a super... Um, like scrawny, uh, kind of like your typical when you think of like a marathon runner, you know, just like really almost like, I don't want to say frail, but like just really thin, not a lot of like musculature, just running a lot of long miles. Um, I've always just been more, like more athletically built. And so I think that helps me in the steeple just be a little more durable. And, um, you know, you're, you're going over the barriers and you're landing pretty hard on the track. So you have to be pretty strong to like, you know, take that beating all the time. When your coach suggested that to you, were you pretty receptive to joining that event? Yeah. Um, my older brother actually went to University of Missouri. He's four years older than me and he raced the steeplechase there. So I knew what the event was just like from watching him. And so I wasn't too intimidated, you know, by it, but I also never saw it for myself. So I was still pretty surprised when she um, suggested it for me. But uh, yeah, I ended up, you know, loving it and really embracing it. Did you ever go back to thank her for that national championship? Oh, that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we have a really good relationship. I always um, have kept in contact with her even since I've graduated and she's always been part of the journey with me. You mentioned a few things about your background, but just so the audience knows, you grew up in St. Louis. Yep. You were into dancing and modeling. Yeah. You never dreamt of being an Olympic athlete when you were younger. Mm -hmm. You go to FSU on a track scholarship. You win nine NCAA All-American honors. At what point did it click for you that running could open all these other doors for you? Yeah. Um, not until very late in the game. I was not one of the kids that grew up thinking, you know, I want to go to the Olympics and watching the Olympics on TV every four years in the summer and dreaming to be on that stage. Like I, I don't know. I just never, that wasn't on my radar. Like it wasn't part of my life really. I was just kind of doing my own thing. I love to dance and um, play soccer and like move my body and like be active and be competitive. But I never like had that kind of overarching long-term goal for myself. Like I never knew what the plan was. I didn't know what I want to do when I grow up. Like I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and it wasn't until like senior of high school that I decided I was going to run in college. And then it wasn't until senior of college that I decided I was going to run as a pro. And even then I just thought like, well, I graduated in 2015. So um, Rio was going to be one year away in 2016. So I thought, I'll train for a year, try and make the team. You know, if I don't, then I've only wasted a year of my time. Like, it's no big deal. And I can say, like, no regrets and just, like, move on. Um, but if I do make the team, like, sweet, I'm an Olympian. I'll move on. Like, I didn't really see that as a career for myself until after Rio. And then I really felt like I just got bit by the bug. And I was like, wait, this is awesome. I don't want to stop. And I can do more. Like, I... I saw more potential in myself than I ever really did. And I saw more of a long-term, you know, goal and like lifestyle for myself that I never really let myself imagine before that. You graduate from FSU. Mm -hmm. You joined the Bowerman Track Club. Yeah. 
explain to the audience, first of all, what it means to be a professional runner and <laughs> how making a living as a professional runner works and how that affected your decision-making process. <laughs> yeah. What is a professional runner? I still get that. Like Uber drivers will be like, oh, are you going or what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm here for a race. You know, um, sometimes I just lie and like, I'm here for a conference if I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like, oh, I'm here for a race. And they're like, oh, like what, you know, like, what do you do? I'm like, I run the steeplechase or like, what's that? And then, you know, like, how do you like, so what do you do for work? And I'm like, no, no, like, that's my work. Like, this is my job. And so I think that's so like foreign for a lot of people to imagine a runner just being a full-time runner. But I feel really lucky to be part of the Bowerman Track Club. We're based out of Portland where Nike is. And we have 12 women now in our group. We call ourselves the Bowerman Babes, hashtag Bowerman Babes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we just have an amazing crew, an amazing support system in Nike and in all the girls and our coaches and, you know, med staff and everything. It's a pretty ideal setup for a professional runner that doesn't want to live in kind of like a hobbit hole in the forest, just like running all day. You know, we have a real life and we have people that we work with every day, like coworkers. And, you know, it's like more than just running by yourself in the forest all day. It's, you know, it's a whole lifestyle and it's so, so much more fun than I ever could have imagined. What was that process like of joining the Bowerman Track Club? Um, well, so basically it kind of felt like when I was looking to go to, to colleges all over again, you know, I was like being recruited to professional groups instead of being recruited to universities. And this time around, there was like a lot more money on the line than before, you know, it's, it's, and it's a lot more pieces. I have to pick an agent and I want to pick a sponsor and I want to pick a coach and a, a group. And, um, for me, the, the first priority was I want to find a coach um, who knows the steeplechase, who knows my event, who has experience there and who I can trust coaching me in the event that I want to go to the Olympics in. Because um, not all coaches, you know, coach the steeplechase. Some track coaches don't really know what they're doing in that regard. And so I, that was really my first priority. And then having people that I could train with as well. I don't didn't want to do it alone. I didn't want to end up um, working out alone every day. I wanted to have people that would push me and make me better and, you know, really challenge me and, and make me into a better athlete because um, I knew I had room for improvement. So those are my priorities. And then um, so that's how I found the Bowerman Track Club. Jerry Schumacher was that guy and Pascal Dobert. Um, those were the coaches that i Placed in my trust, placed my trust in, um, and that's a Nike team. And Nike wanted to give me a, a contract, so I was like, "Perfect! Like, <laughs> where do I sign? Done deal." You compete in the 2016 Olympics in Rio, mm -hmm. and you mentioned that's where you kind of caught the bug. Yeah, and I heard you say recently that you're training for the 2020 Olympics or preparing. Yes. Um, how much preparation goes into preparing for the Olympics, and what is that process like? Ah, uh, yeah, it's kind of funny. I think people sometimes, you know, it's every four years and there's a lot of attention on us every four years, you know, or the year leading up to um, the event. And then kind of like maybe kind of forget about us for like two and a half or three years. And then it's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those runners, they're doing their thing again. But like all the time, all meanwhile, what do you forgot about us? We were still training the whole time. Like we didn't really change anything like we're not we don't get time off during that time uh we're you just didn't like take any time off after quietly the working the whole time um i took like a week off <laughs> a week i heard simone biles say she took a year off yes yeah, she okay she's the goat so i don't know <laughs> I, th I guess it was silly of you to assume that that's in any way common but you took a week off yeah i don't know that i don't even know if that's common for gymnasts either i think she's no. just freaking amazing right yeah but it's definitely not common for um an athlete in a sport like this where it's an endurance based 
nice thing where, you know, if you take a year off, you have a lot of ground to make up on. And, um, yeah, I mean, we see, I've seen a few athletes, um, more recently, um, get pregnant and have a kid during the, like the down, the off year, I guess it's not really even an off year, but between Olympics, you know, they'll take that opportunity, um, to start a family and then get back into it again and just watching their journey. And I mean, Allison Felix in particular just raced after having her child, Cammie, she raced at the USA championships this past weekend. Um, first time getting back at it after having a daughter. Yeah. And, um, just watching that, it's like, it was, and she's a sprinter. She's, she's not even a distance runner. I think it's harder for the aerobic things, um, part of things, but after having to take off a lot of time like that, it's really hard. And I watched her work really, really hard to get back into it. Um, and unless, you know, barring like a big injury or something, you know, I, I wouldn't be taking that much time off in between seasons. Um, but also like the intensity ebbs and flows, you know, you can't be running on like Olympics, 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 Olympics (laughs) for four years. You just are going to burn out. So, um, definitely during the off season, even though we're training and working out, it's, yeah, I mean, I feel like it's just a little less pressure and a little, you come to practice with, yeah, and we're here to work hard, but just a little less intensity. That makes sense. You yeah. can't maintain that intensity right. for any length of time. Yeah. It's all but about you, peaking at the right time. Right. But and to your point earlier about maintaining that that baseline level of endurance and, exactly. and all those things. You can't things. get too far away from it either. Yeah. Being a veteran of the twenty sixteen Olympics, what did you learn that you hope to apply to the twenty twenty Olympics? Yeah, good question. A veteran. That seems weird <laughs> to call myself a veteran. But it is kind of fun actually. I sometimes do feel like a veteran because we have we're constantly adding new people to our team um, as they're graduating from college. And so I graduated four years ago and and now I do feel like, you know, for the younger kids I can kind of help them you know, navigate the ropes of the group and just life as a professional. And even like going yesterday, going through drug testing and team processing yesterday after the races were over, helping some of my new teammates who've never done that before, you know, figure out the ins and outs of where do we go and what are the rules and what do I need to have with me and how do I do this? And yeah, I did feel, I guess, like a little bit more like I know what I'm doing. And I think that does really help going into doing it again having everything be a little less new, you know, a little more routine, like all the little silly things that aren't really that important, but you have to go through in order to, um, you know, get to the actual race that is important. And so spending less energy and time and just emotional stress on all those things and having it just be like, this is a routine. This is what we do. We're just yada, yada. I know everyone on the Team USA staff now. I know what, you know, medical people I use and just having all that kind of stuff nailed down makes it, I think, easier to focus on getting on the podium and, you know, the actual race day, important stuff of why you're there, which is, you know, it's helpful to block out all that other stuff. I've heard Tom Brady talk about how, because he's been to six Super Bowls, that preparing the rest of the team mentally for the Super Bowl yeah. is he is what he feels like his biggest advantage is, yeah. knowing just the spectacle around it and how, how to navigate that is completely different from preparing for the physical game. Right. Do you relate to that? Totally. Yeah. I actually have, um, in the past couple of years started a practice of meditation because I've really come to realize that you can do everything possible to prepare your body, you know, at practice every day you're working really hard and you're putting all this time into 
your body and what your body can do. But if you show up to the Super Bowl and your body is physically prepared, but then you just let the Super Bowl and, you know, or the Olympics or like the hype of whatever it is get to you and you can't focus and you can't do what your body's prepared to do, then you've wasted your time preparing your body um, because you're not going to get anything out of it (laughs) in that moment when it actually counts. So I've definitely come to understand in my wise older years, you know, (laughs) now that I'm a veteran, how I'm important that is to prepare your mind and be able to um, come to race day with, you know, a calm, quiet, focused, determined mindset and you don't get distracted by all the other stuff any, as much anymore. I hope you know that I meant veteran as a compliment. No, no, I do. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Good, 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 good. I don't want you to take <laughs> I think that as I'm still, yeah, just getting maybe used to, I, I've, I've always been the rookie, you know, but yeah, I'm not really a rookie It's a sign anymore. of respect. Yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> I'm curious, what changes would you most like to see in track and field? What ways do you feel like it could improve? Um, Good question. It's kind of interesting in the women's steeple right now, actually, we have um, three women who are, you know, kind of like just solid choices for the team. Um, And when I was coming out of college, I made my first team as a collegiate, but that was kind of a big deal because there were a lot of pros who were like really pretty good, you know, pretty competitive. And so breaking into that crew as, you know, it was right after my senior year of of college was like a big deal. Um, But now there's just, there's not as many younger girls coming up in the NCAA who are at that level. Um, They're not running times that are near where um, Courtney, my teammate, and myself were running when we were at that age. And so I feel like while the top three are really good, then there's just like this cliff. And so Courtney and I were really talking about that yesterday about like how did that happen and like what could we do to help inspire younger girls to try the steeplechase and like get into it and, you know, and athletes who are really good to try the steeplechase. Um, Because I felt like we were going in a really good direction with it and more people were trying it and getting into it with it being a newer event. But it seems like as of late, maybe that's kind of slowed down. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I think we're just trying to think more about like, how do we reach those girls and inspire them to like, this is really fun. You should try it. Like we're having a blast. You should try this event. Um, and I do a a decent amount of, um, you know, like outreach, I think to younger girls. So I hope that as they're getting older and start thinking about college and what they're going to do in college, maybe they'll start, you know, thinking about steeplechase. Mm -hmm. That'd be really cool. You mentioned your outreach being something that you feel like is a solution to that problem. Mm-hmm. Are there other early thoughts that you have about other solutions that you could have to that problem? Yeah. One other thing we've talked about and kind of um, hypothesized about is that it might be because that athletes are runners are specializing in running at a very early age. So Courtney, my teammate and myself um, didn't start you know, running until a little bit later than like normal, especially Courtney. She didn't start running to like junior or senior of high school. Um, I didn't start running till my freshman year. But like we see a lot of athletes now who are running saying like, I'm a runner, I'm a track and field runner, a cross country runner when they're like 10. Um, And they're not and, and they're specializing in that and they're focusing and they're putting all their eggs in that basket and they're not playing soccer and they're not playing basketball and they're not doing dance or gymnastics or doing those other sports as well. They're just like 
you know, are already picking one at such a young age. And so Courtney and I were like, I wonder if, if you start only running in circles or straight, <laughs> um, when you're that young, maybe you just kind of lose that extra athleticism. And then when you go to try and hurdle or learn how to, you know, do something that's a little bit more hand-eye, like, you know, you're coming up to a barrier at full speed and you have to hurdle it, that's more than just putting one foot in front of the other. Mm -hmm. And maybe just because they missed out on those years of body coordination from, like for me, it was dance. I feel like I had a good spatial body awareness and and Courtney for gymnastics. Mm -hmm. And so maybe that is a reason why and, and maybe that's you know parents pushing kids to specialize in a sport really early or you know maybe because social media says you know to be good you have to do it from age five and all that kind of stuff but um so yeah the, another thing that I talk about is like you don't have to have it all figured out you don't have to pick your sport at age eight like just experiment and explore and have fun with it and see what you like and what you don't like and you know you don't have to pick right away you can you know, do things for a while and then pick later. Mm -hmm. And keep an open mind. Yeah. So I don't, I mean, that's totally a hypothesis, but I think that could be part of, yeah. you know, the solution to finding I think, better. I think you're right. I think that's something that is talked about a lot in youth sports is like yeah. specialization to a fault. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so that's something I think that a lot of people would agree with across yeah. youth sports is, is an overall issue. I just finished, um, reading the book range, um, uh, by Epstein and it was, all about that, like all about some sports, like, you know, you have like Tiger Woods where like at a super young age, he's picking up the golf and, you know, golf club and like, but there's plenty of exceptions to that too. Mm -hmm. And they've still reached, you know, the same level just through a different path. It's not to say that one way is better than the other, but, um, yeah, that was just an interesting read about, you know, maybe we need to stop pushing this like early age specialized sports thing so mm -hmm. much. For sure. Uh, gender inequality is a popular issue in a lot of sports, mm -hmm. basketball, soccer, tennis. Do you see gender inequality in your sport? Um, like yes and no. So for for one thing, we sign um, NDAs for all of our contracts So for with Nike. So I don't know what any of my teammates are making. So in that respect, I don't know. But as far as when we go to like Diamond League meets um, in Europe or um, anywhere in the world, like IAAF meets, World Championships, USAs, we, we get prize money for where you place on the podium for those meets. And they are the same for men and women. They have the same prize purse for men and women. Um, so in that regard, it's like very black and white. Everyone knows what the prize purse is going in. Um, it's the same for, you know, both genders and it's like totally equal. So I think in that regard, track and field seems to be, you know, like maybe doing a little bit better than some of the other sports. So that's kind of cool to see. Um, and it's something that I never until like a couple, maybe like a couple of years ago, never really thought twice about. It's like, of course, it's the same for men and women, you know, it like always, always been that way. Um, but then you see it, you know, in like soccer and you're like, oh, gotcha. Not always the same for everyone. So it is kind of cool to see that. Yeah. For track and field, we seem to be at least for prize money, um, doing the right thing. You're very open about your personal life, your website, <laughs> your social media. It seems like your life is an open book. It's a journey that you seem to really want to share with your fans. Yeah. Would you say that's true? Yeah, for sure. What message do you hope to send to your fans or people who learn about your story? 
Oh man. Um, one overall message. I do share a lot, um, with fans. I feel like I'm pretty, you know, on social media, I just, just share like whatever I'm going through. Um, and I think that's just part of my personality. I have teammates who do not do that and do not feel comfortable doing that. And that's 100%, you know, like their thing. And that's totally fine. It's just not, um, part of their journey and the way that they want to share. Um, but for me, I think it just makes it more fun to be on this journey when I can share it with others who are following along and are interested in what it is that we do as, you know, like a professional runner, like what, like they're very interested in that. Like, what does that mean? What does your day to day look like? And I'm mm -hmm. like, well, let me show you. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, but it makes it more fun for me. I feel like I can connect with people that way and then, you know, create these like, I don't know if it's relationships really, but um, just connections with people who maybe are not, they're not a professional athlete, but they're going through something else that's really challenging and um, they can, you know, watch my story or watch my day-to-day -day life and dedication that I'm putting into my sport. And hopefully that inspires them to, you know, dedicate themselves to whatever it is that they're passionate about and whatever goals, however big and scary they might be um, in their life to go and like tackle it. And who knows? I don't know if that that's working, but it is really fun to see like when I'm at USA championships and I do like a lap around the outside of the track after I'm done running. Um, I've noticed that it takes me the longest out of all the girls in my race to do that lap um, because there are girls who are they're so excited to meet me and show me that they're braiding their hair the way that I am and um, you know they want to take selfies and stuff and I'm always the last one to get to drug testing but that's kind of the best part of the race um, for me I get really excited to meet them face to face you know I might have shared a message with them over Instagram they might have already you know sent me a picture of them doing something awesome in their braids and wanted to show, you know, show me about that. And, but now I get to see them face to face and, you know, look them in the eye and say like, Hey, and I feel like that means a lot and, um, helps them, you know, get inspired to do something in their life. I know for me personally, I've learned so much about the world of professional running from <laughs> everything that you put out there. You really do a great job of letting people behind the curtain. And I, and I want to commend you on that. And also showing people how you can really fall in love with the process and fall yeah. in love with the work. Because Bowerman Track Club, to your earlier point, those coaches and teammates, they really push you. And it's not always an easy day, but you find ways to really uh, always enjoy the process of competitive greatness and everything that comes along with it, which I think should be really inspiring for a lot of people. Totally. Yeah. I think it's like, it's almost like cliche at this point to to say things like, enjoy the ride, enjoy the process. But to me, that's so real. Like, I wouldn't be doing this if it was just to get to the end goal. Like, you know, I'm not here for the end part of it. It's the day to day. Like I spent the last nine weeks um, up in Park City, Utah with my, all my Bowerman babes training for USA Champs. And we live together and we train together every day. Like we spend a lot of time together. And so, um, yeah, that's like that part of the process and just like putting in the work every day, going to practice, going on the runs and going to the gym and getting in the pool. Like I en literally enjoy like most parts of that. <laughs> Definitely some days where it's not as enjoyable, but yeah, like just that day to day, if you don't have fun doing that, then it doesn't matter if you get on the podium or not. Like the medal's not going to make you happy if you weren't happy doing the training and the preparation for it. Like that's just like a bonus. And if you were happy doing it and you don't get the medal, but you did everything you could, you know, in order to try and get the medal, 
you'll still be happier than the chick who was, you know, miserable and standing there with a with a medal around her neck. So I really do think that enjoy the process part is corny, but true. And it's something that I think to your early point about athletes having to specialize, I think it's something that people get kind of burnt out on is having to put so pour so much of themselves into one activity. Yeah. Something I love about your story is that you mentioned that you you mentioned on your website you had to give up modeling at a young age to get into running. And then you studied to be a dietitian in college. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And then ultimately knew that you had to kind of set that aside in order to pursue professional running. Yeah. Well, now the vantage point that you're at, you get to enjoy all of those things. And so how much does it mean to you to be able to have modeling and cooking be such a big part of your life? Yeah, it's kind of true. I I do touch on all those like interests um, on a regular basis. I'm cooking for myself and for my teammates um, to fuel our journey and fuel our um, work. And then um, being, you know, working with Nike, being able to do some modeling for them or for um, other kind of one-off things that I might do here or there while I'm fitting in, you know, with my training and full-time job. Um, so I do get to kind of encompass all those interests and passions of mine, which is pretty special. I would at, at one point see myself doing something more with um, nutrition as we get further down the line of, you know, if, if I'm as I'm getting further away from my sport or, you know, when I start talking about moving on to the next thing. Um, So I think that's important too, to have other passions and other interests, because let's be real, like this isn't going to last forever. Um, It's, there's a, you know, there's an expiration date on a runner's career. So having other things that I'm doing, you know, that I'm interested in, I really am passionate about that I'm also doing kind of on the back burner while I'm training, I think is really healthy and, you know, important part to, to stay sane and, (laughs) and not go crazy. Talk to me a little bit about Fast Braid Friday. Yes. How did that start? Where did it come about? Fast Braid Friday is my movement on Instagram that's all about um, doing something on the outside with your hair such as braids, that makes you feel confident. It makes you feel like you step on the start line or wherever it is that you're trying to feel confident and be like, yeah, I got this. I'm, you know, I'm prepared and I'm going to go out there and conquer. Um, And so, yeah, it started as a simple thing. Like I just posted on Instagram one day about, I was wearing my hair in a French braid. And um, I was like, aha, is French braid Friday a thing? It should totally be a thing. Mm-hmm. And it was just silly. But then girls started sending me pictures of their braids and like, they <laughs> like, yeah, it's a thing. Like we're there, we're doing it too. Um, and they would like copy my braid styles. Um, if I, you know, did some, did two, they would send me two back, you know, and if I did one down the back, they'd send me that. And I'm like, oh, like this is kind of cool. Um, it was a way to connect and a way to um, share something with people that uh, I'd never met before. But um, so now it's become something a little bit more serious, I guess. It started silly and then it just kind of developed into something that was more meaningful and like more deep. So yeah, I was saying at USA's this weekend, you know, I'm, I'm meeting girls and they're like, you know, I, I put my fast braids in for your race, you know, as solidarity for you. And I'm like, wow, like, thank you. You know, I, I race in braids. I think it makes me feel good. And so I'll go out there and see a bunch of braids out in, you know, in the crowd and like, 
that's a cool way to connect with people. And, and they'll share their stories with me and say, Hey, I wore my hair in braids on Friday and I tackled my longest run that I've ever been on. And it was, you know, hard and it was challenging, but I put my braids in and I knew I could do it. And I finished a, you know, 15 miler and I'll be like, dang, like awesome job. And I'll repost it on my story, you know, and, and shout them out and build them up and encourage them to like, keep going. So it's been really, really fun, and I'm yeah. I hope it keeps growing. That's cool. What does that mean to you to be able to connect with young people that way? Yeah, I mean, like I said, it was kind of an accident. So it was cool when I saw it developing in a way that I was like, whoa, like I have a little bit more like power here than I really realized, and it was really yeah inspiring for me to be like, I have an opportunity here to. Um, affect people in a positive way and um, maybe create change that, you know, social media can be kind of a double-edged sword sometimes, but I think used in the right way, like I could really make a positive difference. And so just trying to keep that going and and keep the positive side of it going and um, eliminate as much of those negative, you know, side effects as possible. And that makes me, yeah, it makes me feel really good. Our slogan here at Uninterrupted is I am more than an athlete. Yes. You see that on the walls all yes. around me here. <laughs> Um, it's interesting to see how every athlete we work with, that means something different to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does that mean to you to be more than an athlete? Yeah, I feel like um, I didn't know about this in college, but I felt like I was I wanted to be more than an athlete even when I was in the NCAA. Um, I was in a couple, like I was in Iron Society. I was on the Student Athlete Advisory Council. Um, I was active in my, my, my major and, you know, doing things that I thought I was going to I didn't know I was going to be an athlete. So I, I was doing things I thought was going to progress me in my my career, my real career. Um, and so I really felt like I was more than an athlete. And that was really important to me. I didn't just want to be like I saw guys, you know, on the football team who were like, oh, I'm going pro for sure. So I don't care about any of this stuff. Like mm-hmm. I'm just here to like get to the next level. And I just always thought that was I'm like, what a shame. You're wasting such a huge opportunity here. There's so much to do here. Like there's so many things to do that you can explore and that will make you a better person overall. And like, not that you should always have a backup plan, but like, what if that doesn't happen? And then you have nothing. Like I always felt like if I just develop myself as a whole well-rounded person, then no matter what happened in my athletics or my life, like I would always have options and I could always feel like a whole person. And then I didn't have just like one singular purpose that, you know, I'm only good at running in circles. I'm like, no, I'm good at a lot of stuff and I could do a lot of different things and I choose to do this. But if that doesn't make me happy in a couple of years, I'll choose to do something else and I'll, you know, find a different way to make myself happy. Um, I always thought that was really important. And even as a pro, even though now I get paid to do this and um, I spend the majority of my time and energy running in circles, um, I still find that time to to do things that make me happy outside of running and make me feel like a more complete person. And I hope that I always do that. And you mentioned that when your running days are over, you'd like to get back into nutrition full-time and what career opportunities do you see for yourself there? Yeah, I could definitely see myself going back um, to my nutrition roots. Um, But there's, I don't know, there's a bunch of different kind of opportunities after sports that I could also see myself doing, staying in the sport, maybe not as a coach, but, you know, doing broadcasting or um, kind of in a role like that could be really fun. Um, The problem with nutrition is that I never did, after you do the four-year undergrad program, you're supposed to do a one-year approved internship somewhere in the country, usually like at a university or a hospital, Mm -hmm. and then you take a sit and 
take an exam and you become a registered dietitian or licensed nutritionist. And I don't see myself necessarily when I'm like 30 something going back and doing the internship and, you know, getting the certification. So I would find a, have to find a way that I could use my kind of background as an athlete, plus my interest and passion and knowledge in food and nutrition to, you know, do something kind of out of the box and not maybe work in a more of a traditional role, but maybe a non-traditional way with, um, active people, you know, um, so I have to kind of shape how that would work. But um, in my head, I'm, yeah, working with people who are trying to live active lifestyle and get some quality content for the newsletter. Spoken like a true model. <laughs> Colleen, thank you so much for joining us. Before we let you go, remind everyone who runs this station. We run this station. <laughs> <laughs> WRTS is produced by John Fontanelli. Our editor is Chris Wotherspoon. Our production assistant is Logan Castordale. Additional production support by Matt Perret, Lauren Jones, Cody Moore, and Uninterrupted's athlete relations team. Our executive producer is TD St. Matthew Daniel. I'm Joseph Fourier, and this is WRTS. We run this station. We run this station.